Well, thanks for the uh, welcome this morning and for the invitation to come and share with you again. Always a, a joy and a pleasure to do so. Well, it is for me, maybe not for you, but uh, it is good to be back with you again this morning. And Claire has told me I have to appear on Palm Sunday and Easter Sunday morning as well. So uh, there's a whole kind of Easter theme running through. And you'll see that's not entirely missing in our reading and message this morning. I want to read from Luke chapter 9. A very brief reading because Luke puts into two or three verses um, enough for us to handle well this morning. So it's Luke chapter 9 and verse 51 through to verse 56. And Luke writes this way, as the time approached for him, that's Jesus, to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. And he sent messengers on ahead who went into a Samaritan village to get things ready for him. But the people there did not welcome him because he was heading for Jerusalem. When the disciples, James and John, saw this, they asked, Lord, do you want us to call fire down from heaven to destroy them? But Jesus turned and rebuked them. And then he and his disciples went to another village. So reads God's word. I was in Tesco's uh, earlier in January and was amused to see on one shelf boxes and boxes of Christmas mince pies left over. Somebody had overstocked. And in a shelf very close by, the first chocolate eggs ready for Easter. Clearly, Tesco is really behind the Christian calendar, uh, keeping Christmas and Easter both in focus at the same time. Or else there's just a commercial reason for it, which you can guess at. For Christians, there's an inevitable bringing together of the great Christian moments in the life and ministry of Jesus himself. His birth, his death, his resurrection, his ascension into glory, his return again, and his eternal reign. In a sense, all get compacted together and recognize these are the big issues. And we don't just leave them to one particular moment in the calendar each year. It's good to focus on them all. And if you've studied the hymns and songs you've sung this morning, you'll see that I think every single one of those themes has been somewhere in one of those songs. And they kind of tower above everything else in life and help us put everything else in perspective. It's like when you go to London and you see the big skyscrapers on the uh, horizon and you kind of get a, 
a sense of perspective and location. You see the gherkin, and you know that's the business quarter, and you see the shard, and you know that's somewhere about Southwark, and you just see one after the other, and you say, oh, I can get my bearings in this uh, panicky, hustling, bustling world by seeing where the big landmarks are. And I think that's what Scripture encourages us to do. Sometimes we get so focused on the tiny detail of our lives. I need to break out of that and just see these great big landmarks, the birth of Jesus Christ incarnate into this world, his death on Calvary atoning for the sins of mankind, his resurrection bringing the hope of eternal life to everyone who puts their faith and trust in him, his ascension to glory so that he can intercede for us right now at the Father's right hand, his return to take his people home with him and his everlasting reign in glory. These are the great things, aren't they? And somehow we get our minds fixed on them. Some of the other stuff of life that we get all worried and anxious about gets put into its proper perspective. And that's why I quite like the way that Luke records the significant moments in the life of Jesus. And in particular, we're starting this morning at chapter 9 and verse 52. As the time approached for Jesus to be taken up to heaven, the ascension. And this part of it says, hang on a minute, Luke, you're only at chapter 9. You know, chapters 1 and 2 were the birth of Jesus, and it's going to be away 14 chapters still to come before he gets to the cross. Why are you saying here and now in chapter 9, as the time came for Jesus to ascend into heaven? This part of Luke's way of focusing our minds on the things that are really important and really significant. And in fact, what Luke will do through the whole of the rest of his gospel is keep on reminding people, interpret this particular bit of Jesus' Jesus' journey as part of his journey on the road to heaven and to glory. It is a road untraveled. Maybe you've heard of the road less traveled. Here's a road untraveled. No person had ever gone down this road before. Geographically, they had, of course. But no one had taken the spiritual journey that Jesus was on. And tonight, this morning, I want to have a look at that little passage we read under three very simple headings. First of all, Christ's choice. And then the Samaritan shock. And then the disciples' outrage. And then then we'll see how Christ responded to the people around him. Sensitively. Christ's choice at the time, as the time approached for Jesus to be taken up to heaven, he resolutely set out for Jerusalem. Uh, And right away, that's startling if you stop and think about it. The time has come for him to ascend to heaven. But he heads to Jerusalem. If you've ever flown to New Zealand or Australia or somewhere far away, you've probably been offered a, a stopover somewhere. 
uh, a mega blitz of the uh, duty-free in Dubai or the beaches of Mauritius or tea plantations in Sri Lanka or whatever it happens to be. What a guarantee you've never been offered is a stopover in Chad in sub-Saharan Africa or in the conflict zones of the Yemen. And if you were offered them, I dare say you would have refused them. And it's that kind of startling note we have here in Luke about Christ's choice. He's ascending to heaven. That great moment is on the horizon for him, but he chooses to go to Jerusalem. The old version said, he set his face as a flint towards Jerusalem. More modern versions, he set out resolutely. There's a determined choice by Jesus in deciding to go to Jerusalem. And he's not heading there for um, a six-star hotel in Jerusalem. Uh, he's heading there to its uh, violence, its opposition, Uh, The bigotry he would experience there, the rejection by people of all kinds and backgrounds, ultimately his suffering, his death on the cross, bearing my sin and my shame there and yours as well. And the point that uh, we can't miss here is that Good Friday was not a mistake or a miscalculation by Jesus. He hadn't really thought ahead far enough. This was deliberate. This is his conscious choice that while there's firmly in his mind that he's about to go back to his father, he's longing for that. Remember how in John 17, he cries and prays to his father that he wants to have again the glory he had with the father from, from all of eternity. He, he waited, longed for, delighted in the thought of returning to heaven. But Jerusalem... Calvary, the suffering for sinners like me and you, was his destination of choice. That was his chosen stopover on the way to heaven. Oh, the immense grace, kindness, love, sensitivity of Jesus to human need that brought about that conscious choice of Christ as he was about to go to heaven but set out towards the cross. I don't know if there ever is times in your life when maybe as a person who's not a Christian you think, well, I can understand why Jesus would die for you know, those folk that are very, very religious anyway, and they're in Carrickfergus Baptist every Sunday, so I can understand why Jesus would die for them, but me? I can understand why Jesus would have um, a passion to go to the cross for those people who've lived very moral lives, they've tried their best to keep the Ten Commandments, they've messed up a few times, but I can understand why Jesus would have an interest in them and saving them, but me? And have there ever been a moment in your life as somebody who's not yet a Christian and you thought, well, surely, surely Jesus has no thought for me in his heart when he's 
facing that moment to go to heaven but chooses to go to the cross, to, 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 to Jerusalem, that I want you to read that passage over and over and over again. It was for me. For me alone, the Savior left his glorious throne. And there's not a person in the world who's ever turned and said, Jesus, do you really love me that much? Who can turn to this passage and not say, he does, he did, and he always will. Christ's choice, very stark, very deliberate, and utterly marvelous, isn't it? He chooses to go to Jerusalem. The second heading, very simply, is the Samaritan shock. Luke moves very quickly to the way in which the Samaritans react to Jesus as he heads out towards Jerusalem. Messengers are sent ahead to arrange B&B accommodation uh, for Jesus and his disciples in Samaria. Premier Inn and Travel Lodge and Lockshore definitely haven't arrived anywhere in Samaria at that time. Middle East custom was for travellers to find hospitality in the homes of families en route. And even though we know the Jews and Samaritans were fairly hostile towards each other, that didn't normally overrule the custom of the day that if someone was traveling through, you offered them hospitality. But the messengers that are sent out for Jesus and the disciples come into this Samaritan area and there's not a single Samaritan door opened for them. And the big question we ought to have in our minds is why? What on earth's going on in that Samaritan area at that point in time that when normal custom says, here's some guys from Galilee going down to Jerusalem, give them a, a room for the night and charge them minimum uh, rates for them, why there isn't anybody ready to open the doors to them? There was a bit of history between Jesus and the Samaritans but we might say it was all good history. John 4 uh, tells us a story of Jesus coming into that area of Samaria and seeing a woman drawing water um, at the well and he encounters her, asks for a drink. And remember her initial reaction uh, reflected the antagonism between the two camps of, of people. How come you, a Jewish man, are asking water of me, a Samaritan woman? It's not long into the conversation before she becomes convinced that Jesus is different and describes him in her estimation as a prophet, John 4 and verse 19. And that leads her to ask Jesus a very profound, complicated, theological, historical controversies question. Jesus, if you are a prophet, if you are who you claim to be, where does God really want us to worship? The Samaritans had always believed it was on Mount Gerizim. That's where the blessings of that first covenant had been promised them. 
is where they built an altar when Moses and then Joshua led them into the promised land. When the rest of the Israelites had been carried into captivity uh, into Babylon, the Samaritans were those who had stayed in the northern part of Israel. And to them, it was proof that God approved of their choice of Mount Gerizim as a place where God's worship was to be held. The Jews obviously believed and belonged to Jerusalem. It was Jerusalem that we had the temple in. Jerusalem that was where people were to come for their sacrificial offerings and festivals and feasts on a regular basis. So that that being the historical division between Samaritans and Jews. And now she wants to know, Jesus, where do you stand on this issue? And he gives that answer that it's profoundly true still today. There's a time coming, he says, when God will find the people he wants, not in a particular location, neither on Gerizim nor in Jerusalem. He will have people who will worship him in spirit and in truth. That's who the Father desires. That's what God's looking for. And she gets that. Amazing though it was, she understood that. She believed that. And it led her to conviction that moment in time that he wasn't just a prophet or clever rabbi who could answer a complicated question. He was somebody who understood the heart and mind of God, that he wasn't looking for people to be fixed on a particular location, but he wanted their hearts to respond to him in worship and in trust. So she goes back to tell the rest of the Samaritan village, come and see a man who told me all things that ever I did. And in John 4, 42, the folk from the town came, checked out the message for themselves, and then declared their conviction that Jesus, and this wording is hugely significant, that Jesus really is the savior of the world the cosmos. They grasped that somewhere or other Jesus was not aligning himself with the Samaritans, nor was he aligning himself with the Jews who hung on to Jerusalem. But here was the true Messiah who had come to save people from every kindred and tongue and tribe and nation of people, the Savior of the world. They got that. And that's how they worshipped Jesus that day. Now you come into, into Luke chapter 9. And there's some messengers who come knocking on the doors in Samaria. Uh, 